Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John, and this week we are very fortunate to be joined by Lawrence Baker from Tabletop Tactics. Lawrence recently just uh, did very well going undefeated with the Grey Knights list at a 100-person major, which is amazing. Uh, and As always, I'm joined this week by uh, Nick Nanavati, who's my co-host. Nick doesn't really need an introduction uh, because most of you know who he is, but I'm going to do it anyway because I love stroking his ego. Uh, Nick is one of the best players in 40K history. I mean, he's won everything from Adepticon to LVO and everything in between. Um, So Nick is going to help us break everything down. And as as always, this is our first episode in a series of two. And today we're going to talk about the overall strategy of Lawrence's list. Hey, Nick, can you go ahead and introduce us to Lawrence and get us started? Yeah, Lawrence is a longtime hobbyist, uh, much like myself, and he runs an awesome channel called Tabletop Tactics. I highly recommend checking it out. I'll let him explain that a bit more as we get into the podcast. Um, he's an awesome general and just took Grey Knights with their new Psychic Awakening buff, as we call it, to a major, as you said, and kicked some total ass with it. So we just want to jump right in and, and dive right into it. Lawrence, do you want to go over what's in your list really quick? Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for the uh, wonderful introduction. I'll try and live up to all of those kind words. Um, (laughs) Okay, so let's get into this list. Uh, Grey Knights. Um, It was a 2,000-point event, so uh, six rounds as well, which is a little unusual here for the UK because we've been flirting with doing six rounds for a while, but most of the the events tend to just do the five. But this was a big one, so we did six. Uh, So it was ITC missions, so I did build the list uh, with ITC in mind. Uh, It was a double potential. Italian. And um, I'd done a little bit of playtesting before the uh, event had begun. But um, given the fact that Psychic Awakening really hadn't been out that long, and then actually, you know, Chapter Approved had just come out, you know, <laughs> effectively six weeks before that, uh, it was still very new. Um, but I quickly identified that the, the old Paladin bomb, so that's a unit of 10 Paladins, for those of you which aren't in the know, um, was very, very, very powerful, very resilient. And there were some f- fantastic uh, stratagems to help keep them on the board, as well as do some decent damage output. So I, I basically based the list. I did test game using one paladin bomb and mixing it in with some interceptors um that went quite well and i was testing against your 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 typical boogeyman list like an iron hands um bro list you know um and it went okay uh but i was so impressed by the paladin bomb i was like i need two of these so uh, (laughs) i just doubled (laughs) up um and uh, i ended up doing a dual battalion to ensure that i had the cp to fuel the list so uh it basically went like this i had a librarian um with the sanctic shard which is a new relic which gives you a plus one to cast and reroll psychic powers I failed psychic tests, rather, which is really, really cool. Uh, I had Grandmaster Voldus, who I kept uh, as the Warlord, because that enabled him to get an additional power, which, again, given the new discipline, is really, really useful to have. Uh, I then had three units of strike squads with dual falchions to make up the troops portion. Um, and then in that same battalion, I had an apothecary uh, who was there to really help keep the uh, paladins alive, um, as well as provide more psychic buffs. And they're quite a uh, quite a cheap little choice for a good 
beat stick of a character, really. Um, and then I went on to uh, have, of course, 10 Paladins. The first 10 Paladin blob had four side cannons, uh, all halberds, except the Paragon, who had a warding stave. Um, and then the rest of them, of course, had storm bolters. Then moving over to the second battalion, I took uh, a chaplain, because um, the Grey Knights now have a new chaplain variant with new litanies, which uh, some of which are very useful. Um, the main focus with this guy was to take the additional minus one AP on Nemesis and Psy weapons. Um, obviously, it doesn't always go off, but uh, he did prove pretty useful at the event. So that was the first HQ. Uh, and then the second HQ, another really, really useful one, is the brother Captain, who uh, doubles the range of the smite psychic power with uh, Grey Knights, which, as you can imagine, in some matchups, having a 24-inch range smite is extremely useful. <laughs> so I uh, was sure to put him in the list. Uh, then, of course, I had three more strike squads, uh, all with dual falchions, and another paladin bomb. Uh, these were all storm bolters and halberds with the paragon with the warding stave this time um for a couple of reasons uh one to benefit um from the stratagem cyborg ammunition uh whilst the other paladin bomb could benefit from the psychic onslaught stratagem so they kind of both had a, a different role they could both be buffed up at the same time um and and that was it it was it was 1992 points um i'd initially put a um storm shield on the librarian which was an awesome 2000 points but then of course all of the um the legends rules came out uh, and itc adopted that so i just took the storm shield off and gave the librarian a storm bolter as per the gray knight codex and that was it that's awesome man mm. um, it's actually very similar to the gray knight list i've been working on but you have some interesting choices there i want to kind of dive into sure uh, first the, the second paladin bomb i know you said you love the first one so much yeah. you just added a second <laughs> yeah. um what, what's the deal with that so there's only five in the second unit and then of course you have all these awesome buffs that you want to stack onto one unit kind of creating a, a mini death star type of thing yeah um but you obviously can only do those buffs once per turn so that five man unit Probably is just like five Terminators hanging out. What's the point? Um, right, right. So forgive me. I, I probably didn't explain it properly. So that the second unit is also ten man. So I've got twenty paladins in total. Oh, my apologies. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're both very much paladin bombs. They're, the only difference between the two is that one has four side cannons uh, and, and the other is just all storm bolters. Um, but I can answer your question because you're right. You, you know, you can only buff each unit so so much, right? So uh, I found, because you've got this amazing psychic power called Armored Resilience, which is in the new discipline, which is a minus one to wound. Um, and then you've got transhuman physiology as well. So you can whack that on one unit and put the minus one to wound on the other, and then both have a very, very similar um, resilience, depending on, of course, who's firing at them. Um, and then obviously you can only put sanctuary, which is the plus one invulnerable save, on one of them. But generally speaking, um, the way the list works is that I always started both paladin units on the board with all the characters, and I would end up hiding one because in ITC you've traditionally got quite a few, you know, big big L-shaped buildings in the middle. You might have like a magic box in your deployment zone, or you might have at least like a corner bit of terrain that you can just hide your infantry behind. So one would sort of uh, hold back, uh, and then the other one would be gated forward, and the one that went forward would get the majority of the buffs. Gotcha. Yeah. So you would kind of send. You would fight with one at a time, even though you took two units. You would just hang out with one as exactly. it got people down. Bring the other one up with gate or something. Exactly. Right. Well, the I other thing that's that's kind of cool that that I'll point out is a lot of times you can still chip in with the second paladin unit with astrolame or the new psychic discipline power that allows you to shoot and move in the 
psychic phase, right? So that you can. Uh, John, you're revealing all my secrets now. Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, like the the second unit doesn't have to be passive. Like exactly. you can buff, buff one unit and take the middle of the board, and the other unit can be very safe. Like a unit of paladins that's out of line of sight is almost impossible to dislodge. Like, you got it. Is, yeah. So why don't we why don't we go through and break down those combos? This is a fairly new codex or mm. update, rather. So uh, let's explain how all that works for listeners. Yeah, sure thing. Okay, so um, in a nutshell, um, John's really just he's he's touched on pretty much the primary tactic I had. So whilst I would I would absolutely put the the minus ones wound on the forward unit, right, and I would sling them up, and I put sanctuary on them. I'd sling them up into the enemy's face, uh, or if I felt that they were too well screened and I wouldn't be able to get a decent charge off or a de- or a decent wrap off, I would just put them up into the center of the board put astral aim on them um have them shoot and hide behind a bit of terrain you know and they were ready for like a turn two sort of charge but uh what i would do with the rear unit is um you've got this amazing power called edict imperator uh, and what it allows you to do is you move as normal in your movement phase you cast edict imperator in the psychic phase uh, and it allows you to shoot immediately in the psychic phase and then it allows you to move afterwards now you can't advance as part of that move but you've effectively now got a 10 inch move with those paladins because you're moving twice right um and that goes a long way towards getting you towards the center of the board plus if you have got something like astral aim on them um you don't need the line of sight to be able to snipe out enemy screens or i'd often use it to like get the the kill once and you know have a unit of elder rangers parked on an objective which would otherwise just sit there all game and be annoying and score a point um i would just go right yeah i'll astral aim them and uh, they're dead with my storm bolters uh, and then i'm going to move closer towards you um which is really really useful but um as john touched on you absolutely aren't really that passive with the rear unit. It's always doing something and it's there to support that sort of uh, turn to overwhelm because uh, it ends up that both the Paladin units are pretty much in your face or center board by turn two. Interesting. So um, from my understanding with how Green Knights wanted to function, um, and this is obviously very different from what you're actually doing on the table successfully. So mm. there's a bit of a thing there. I thought most armies would be centered on one big tap Paladin block that you Put out a line of sight, kind mm-hmm. of in the middle of the table if you can, uh, just firing Astral Aim. Because like you said, 10 Paladins out of line of sight, they are never dying. I'm nice. just scratching that. Um, and then having a whole bunch of characters, like three like, three Chaplains, three Apothecaries, yeah. Drago, Voldus, etc., all standing behind them, being a character spam smite army that also shoots you. Super hard to interact with. Yeah, Smite spams you, shoots you off the table, and you can't really charge it because it's paladins and characters. Exactly. So that was that was my <laughs> attempt at a good list. Um, well, look, I mean, in essence, you you we it is the same list. It's just I've just doubled up on the paladins because I've still got the five characters in there, and they absolutely hang back with that rear paladin unit, and the the rear paladin unit basically sort of surrounds them in a circle as it moves forward, right? Right. Um, and then, of course, you've got that brother captain as part of that blob. So you do have those 24-inch range smites. Uh, and that was something I also wanted to say. What's really amazing about Edict Imperator is the fact that it allows you to shoot in your psychic phase. If you've got that on your Storm Bolter unit and someone's screened with a lot of chaff, you can actually, because your Terminators, you've still got an effective 24-inch full rapid fire range, right? You can actually use that shooting to remove the screen and then do your smites after the fact. 
So it's all of a sudden you're opening up their lines to all of these yeah. smites. They think they're perfectly safe because they've screened out, but you shoot them in your psychic phase and then do the smites afterwards. It's really horrible. I mean, also think about all the gate of infinity tricks you can pull. Yeah. You can just pull their screen off and then now you can gauge your unit to where you want it to be. Right. Exactly. So, exactly. Right. Able to shoot in the psychic phase. It, it doesn't sound so powerful because you're like, whatever, I can wait five minutes and then just shoot in my shooting phase. But because there's so much more going on in a Grey Knight psychic phase, yeah. it lets you just break the order of operations entirely. You got it. You got it. Um, no, that's yeah. really cool. So, Nick, one thing I, Nick, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, maybe we should uh, back up and, and do a little more of an overview because we haven't really talked about psychic awakening with gray knights and why they're doing so much better. And I think mm. a good place to start would be talk about the tides, what you start in, how yeah. often yeah. you switch them, that kind More of thing. high level yeah. explanations does yeah. really well. Absolutely. Um, so obviously the two, the two uh, common tides that you'll hear about are tide of shadows and uh, tide of escalation. Um, so basically tide of shadows uh, means that your army starts in cover. Uh, even if it's not in cover. Uh, and if you are actually in cover, you get a minus one to hit in addition to that. So again, if you're doing, you're putting that on something like Paladins, that's, it's, a real, it's a real bad day for your opponent because it makes them really, really, really tough. Um, unless, of course, your opponent has an abundance of ignore cover. But then even then, it's a modifier to hit, right? Which is uh, not, not, you know, it's not, not to be sniffed at. Um, so Tide of Shadows, weirdly though, this is the funny thing because as I said, when I went into the event, uh, I'd only play tested the the list once, and that was with one paladin bomb, um, a, a list more akin to what Nick was just suggesting. Um, and so I thought I would use Tide of Shadows a lot more than I actually did. As it turned out, I actually only used it once in the entire event um, because I found, you know, being an infantry-based army, uh, I was able to just hide the majority of the time. So if I didn't go first, it wasn't too much of a big deal. Um, I didn't, so I didn't have to start in that tide of shadow. So what I would often do is start in the tide of convergence, which is uh, what I call the shooty shoot one, uh, which basically gives you uh, an extra damage on all of your side weapons, uh, and it gives you an, an extra strength on all of your side weapons as well. So uh, effectively, that would mean that when I did my Edict Imperator, in the psychic phase to shoot with one of the units um depending on what stratagems i employed either psychic onslaught or um cyborg ammunition you could end up with something silly like 40 strength six minus two if you had your litany go off with the chaplain damage two shots which were ignoring cover via astrolane and ignoring line of sight um which you know i think is pretty cool <laughs> um, and then what you would do after that is you'd switch into the tide of escalation and then this is obviously the the, the big one right now for for gray knights because it literally doubles their effectiveness is it, it does two mortal wounds on the smite instead of one um which is massive it's absolutely massive because uh it's a game changer really for them because they really did struggle against you know uh john was saying previously things like elder flyers uh we were just saying just before the um the interview started you know that would be a real bad day for us because we didn't have enough reliable shooting to take them down and the smites would only be one damage but actually when you're kicking out a bunch of two mortal wounds um you, those flyers will start to drop and um I, I was playing a few razor wings at the event as well and that very much was the case you were able to, to really just take out one of the flyers quite comfortably a turn um, which was neat awesome so yeah the the tides really do elevate the power of the great ants a lot i think mm -hmm. that kind of goes um a little undervalued the 
a lot of people are I know are talking about allying Green Knights into like sisters armies or guard armies or something like that. And you can do that. Green Knights do have a place as an ally, but mono Green Knights is totally functional. I mean, as you've proven, but like yeah, it's it is no joke whatsoever. This, no, every Stormbolter is just going an additional AP, and then on your unit of paladins, everything becoming a psi weapon, going to AP minus two, two yeah. damage. It's just crazy how much it's crazy. Yeah, it really is. You're absolutely right. Um, and weirdly, now, like I, I agree with you, Nick. Like they they do have a place as an ally, but when they're mono, like getting the loot, because if you, you lose the tides, if you go, if you're an ally, that and which is a major problem. Um, Going mono now, if, if those additional rules are just so, so good. Um, and it's amazing how the meta, like when I played these games, they just weren't ready for that level of mortal wounds. Um, right. And they didn't have enough in their um, tool belts to to sort of deny the psychic uh, abilities that I had. Um, so yeah, definitely caught a lot of people off guard, I think. Well, it, it's really tough, right? Because there people, Smite Spam has been in and out of the meta for the mm. entirety of 8th edition, but never to the degree of take 20 to 30 mortal wounds in the psychic phase every single psychic <laughs> phase. No. And then even if it was to that degree, it's usually like, okay, here's my cultists, here's my guardsmen, whatever. They'll stand in front, they'll catch the smites. Yeah. At least I'm not losing something I care about. And then you introduce this new concept of, I'm going to shoot that away in the psychic phase, yeah. and then go back to mortal wounding you. It's exactly. just so hard to play around. Yeah. And it's not even like something like a Calexis, for example. Yeah. which is pretty much fallen out of the meta, but might have a place in this new Grey Knight world we live in. Yeah, Could come back and him. deal with it. Yeah. yeah, but even still, it's like okay, I can have the. Is it a chaplain litany that lets you ignore hit modifiers or or something? Yeah, yeah there's a lit there's a litany with that the chaplain has to allow you to yeah. ignore modifiers. So again, so can, another great buff. You can just ignore the hit modifiers on ten paladins, mm. then shoot in the psychic phase, blow that Calexus up. Because yep. he's going to be the closest. He's, he's the one trying to catch the smites. Yeah, and then go back to smiting as per usual. Yeah, I mean, you, you've just made a really good point there. Now, I'm not sure if that does work because I think the Calexus just says he's hit on sixes rather than like a minus three to hit. Right. He changes your ballista skill. I wasn't right. sure if the chapter goes around that. I thought with, I'd, I'd read. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I will read that again though because that. I mean, if that works, then oh my goodness, pour the Calexus. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. You got one job, buddy. You got one job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, but definitely worth checking out. So I'm looking at your list. It's a couple interesting things. You obviously have all the characters you need to support your army, like a librarian, a chaplain, apothecary, etc. But you're kind of missing some staples here. Like, where's Drago? What's going on here? <laughs> now, Nick, I knew you were going to ask about Drago. Um, <laughs> uh, and if you'd asked me a couple of months ago, I would have, I would have absolutely said I will never take a Grey Knight list without Drago. Um, but as it turns out, uh, Drago didn't quite fit my list for a couple of major reasons. One, uh, he doesn't get as many powers as someone like Voldus does. And I found that despite the number of characters I had, I, I was still running out of slots for those really, really important powers from the new discipline as well as the existing discipline. Because you still need things like Gate of Infinity in the list, etc. Um, so that was the first consideration. Two, uh, the reroll hits is awesome, and he's a beat stick, which is also awesome. But uh, the other side to that is that he would only really be buffing the rear unit. Because don't forget, I'm gating a unit forward, right? So I was like, well, is this guy who's more expensive than Voldus going to be worth it for me over the length of the game? And actually, the conclusion I had was no, because there's another power, a new power called Ethereal Manipulation. Uh, and what you do is you cast that on your unit that you're slinging forward with gates uh, and it actually allows you to re-roll all hits 
So it's actually better than um, Drago's uh, reroll hit aura because Drago's got the old written reroll hit aura, which means you can't reroll modifiers. Whereas the ethereal manipulation is you can just reroll all hits, um, which is better. So I found that actually using that, I didn't really miss out on Drago's buff. And I still had Voldus there on the rear unit for reroll ones to hit anyway, which actually worked out pretty well because you can also then, if you really want to, uh, there's a, a new another new stratagem called Fury of the First, I believe it's called. It's one CP, and then you add one to the hit roll. So you can put add one to your hit roll on your rear um, paladin unit, rerolling ones with Voldus, uh, and then on your forward paladin unit with Ethereal Manipulation, you're rerolling all hits. So between the two of them, you're still pretty accurate. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, you kind of because you're only really supporting two big units, you don't need an aura that affects your entire army, right? Um, but one of the things I really like about Drago, and just reroll the hit auras in general, which I think goes underestimated, is the fact that it works in Overwatch. Uh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, it's really hard to charge ten paladins with rerolling everything to hit. Yeah, like a lot of things are just gonna die. So yeah, you're not is wrong. That something, there. Is that something you missed at all, or, it, or was it just? I tell you what. Hey, look, I mean, when you put it in that context, like. I absolutely miss Drago. Do not get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, but I found, and this is this is probably more true than me missing Drago, that most people aren't that keen to charge I paladins. Was, you know, they, I was just <laughs> going to say every time every time I play Grey Knights, I want you to charge me. Like I, yeah, and I don't care if know. I shoot you. You know, I I just yeah. want the paladins in combat because they chew up everything. Well, that's I'm it. Thinking, I'm thinking like something more along the lines of a modern day real combat unit. Um, so like six assault centurions charging in, like it's I, a whole bunch happened. of high strength damage three. Oh like, yeah, oh yeah. That's got to rip up some paladins. No, I know you're, you're tough. You're, like, you're totally off. right. Look, you're totally right. There's, there's no. I can't sugarcoat this and say, look, I would be totally okay with six assault centurions charging me. I would have a bad day, but <laughs> but <laughs> you here's, put the <laughs> here's the thing. Um, I mean, obviously, I know that we're, we're going to go into some perhaps more in-depth tactics in, this, in the second half of the show. Um, so I don't want to give it all away here. But let's just say that I have a plan in place uh, for really, really nasty assault units that uh, would, would test me in combat and want to charge me. I'm so excited to hear about this plan. <laughs> I literally don't know what it is. Well, <laughs> I think I have an inkling. <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask you, Lawrence. Um, yeah. Seasoned Grey Knight players will look at your list. And they'll pick this out right away, but I think maybe a, a more casual fan may not. You've got Psy Cannons on your Paladins, which yeah. is totally yeah. different. Like most people would tell you, I'm pre-Psychic Awakening, Silencers are the way to go because mathematically they're superior right, to the Psy Cannons. So I'd right. like to hear sort of your reasoning. I think I understand it, but I, I think it'd be a good discussion. Yeah, no, it's a it's absolutely it's a valid, very valid question, and and you could still, I mean, it, it's always matchup dependent to an extent, right? You could you could still argue that the silencer might be better, but I actually found uh, with the testing I did, and now having just um, done all, all six games at that GT, that the side cannons were invaluable. Uh, the two main reasons for me were the additional base strength um, and the inbuilt minus one. Um, I found that was pretty clutch, believe it or not, because the thing is the silencers don't have any minus. Um, and the only way you can get the minus with them will be via a litany and which isn't guaranteed to go off, you know, cause it's, it's a three up of it. And if you don't get it off, it doesn't go off. Right. Um, or via the stratagem. 
But when I use the stratum on the side cannons, I've now got a base minus two. And since things like Imperial Knights will probably tend to be a four plus invulnerable save anyway, because they'll rotate their ion shields, having the inbuilt minus one was just really, really neat. Uh, but more importantly, wounding them on threes when I've put that stratagem on and I'm in the tide of convergence was just too, it was just too good because you've got a stratagem to re-roll wounds against a vehicle or monster. Uh, and I found that, all right, I'm losing out on two shots per, uh, you know, compared to a silencer. But uh, I found 16 strength, nine shots at potentially minus three if the litany went off at damage two was, was more than adequate <laughs> you know, to do the business. Yeah, I think that's one of those things. Uh, I, I'm of the similar opinion, just in general, not always on side cans with silencers. A lot of players are always like, the more shot, less stat line guns are always just better than the higher shot stat line, less shot guns. Like mathematically, it's just better versus a wide variety of targets, and then you just punch through the tougher targets anyways, your volume. But as someone who's played a lot of 40K in their lives, I don't always trust the math. Like no, there's definitely no. a value to just being a better gun. Like you can count on it to actually do something, especially when you've lost some volume of your army, stuff started dying. Yeah. I think something actually good is very useful. Yeah, I agree. It's quality, you know, um, and it's not as if there's a huge disparity between the two. Like it's still four shots per side cannon with a base minus one. Like it's not, if it was like only two shots or maybe even three shots, I probably would take the silencer every time. But given right. the fact it is four shots, I'm like, that's still a lot of shots, <laughs> you know? Uh, it's, it's a lot of how, like, auto cannons and heavy bolters are, in air quotes, the best weapon in the game for Space yeah. Marines, but, right. like, you're still seeing a lot of LAS cannons. Like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's it is true. funny, because now the side cannons are kind of kind of the Grey Knight version of the LAS cannon, which we really didn't have. <laughs> so it's yeah. it's uh, totally. it's it's kind of nice that our, our signature weapon actually is now usable, because it, it really wasn't yeah. before. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm happy for you guys. Are really you? Because you made a lot of fun of me when I told you I wanted to play Grey Knights. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm looking at my 20,000 points of chaos on the shelf over here, and I'm really sad about it, okay? I can understand that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that in episode two, though. I don't want to really be surprised. I have sure. another question. Um, it's more like okay. an assumption, but I'm assuming that in ITC that you do very well because this list denies kills like a boss. All the strikes probably going to yeah. deep strike and don't come down until after yes. you soften them up quite a bit, and then you can kind of bring them in to sort of further solidify your board control. Um, yeah. Exactly. If I don't know if you want to talk about that. Exactly. That is, yeah. That, that I, I mean, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That, that is literally the tactic in a nutshell. So the thing with when you're building a Grey Knight list, you need to be very aware of that balance between points and number of units in reserve. Um, and it, it just so happened that having the two paladin bombs and the five characters start on the board meant that I could have all six of the strike marines in reserve every game. Um, and marked for death in ITC was obviously a very easy kill for for the poor the poor uh, the poor <laughs> strike squads, you know. So you don't want them starting on the board, and then you double that with the fact that let's face it, Meta is full of. Uh, it's got a high saturation of uh, ignore line of sight weaponry, thunderfire cannons, whirlwinds, which just murder things like strike marines um you just can't have them starting on the board in good conscience um especially against those sorts of lists 
You've actually just touched on every question I was about to ask all at once. So good job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I so was going to ask, like, what do you do with all these strike marines? Uh, but I apparently just leave them reserved. Do you actually count on them for any sort of damage during the game, or do you just let the paladins and characters to work and try not to get them killed? Well, no, that's the thing. So a lot of, there is this sort of misconception. Like, as I've done a, a few different um, interviews now with different blogs, and uh, they're like, "Well, is it just the paladins doing everything?" I'm like, "No, the strike marines are amazing." But you've got to set them up. You know, the, the paladins remove all of the screens and, and get rid of the chaff and the annoying stuff first. Um, and then when the strike squads come in, I mean, that's six units, which can all kick out two mortal wounds with the smite. Plus they're equipped with storm bolters, which again, it's just, it's just a lot of firepower, you know, <laughs> it really is a lot of firepower. Um, and then if you start getting off some charges as well, and you start doing some nasty wrapping traps, all of a sudden your opponent feels completely overwhelmed because they've got all of these units now basically hemming them in. And that should hopefully secure uh, the fact that I've got board control. I'm controlling the center of the board at this point. I've put your po my opponent back in his deployment zone and I'm asking him to stay there very nicely for the rest of his game. <laughs> you know, uh, And so what the strike Marines do is they just absolutely reinforce. They support the, um, the Paladin spearheads. Uh, and they were stars for me. They were stars for me. But um, obviously the... Um, I guess the paladins sort of steal the limelight because they're like the hammer. They're they're the obvious hammer, you know. Well, I think it's what's interesting about paladins is not only are they the hammer, but they're also the anvil. So you're just, you're mm, just like absolutely come at me, bro. It's cool. Yeah. Well, you, you know, they're kind of like. Um, I mean, I don't know if this is a fair comparison, but I I sort of when I looked at the paladins pr post chapter approved and they just received the the points drop again, uh, and then of course psychic awakening came out. I was like, right, well, this is my Grey Knight equivalent to Centurion spam. Um, you know, I've got it all. Like, I, I'm resilient. I've got great firepower, um, and I've got assets similar to Raven Guardian that I can fling a unit around uh, or deep strike it you know, if I wanted to. Um, they just really are a nasty unit. There's no two ways about it. Um, obviously, they give up gangbusters uh, in ITC and um, the Grey Knights in ITC are a bit of a funny one, uh, which, I mean, perhaps we'll talk about my games more in, the, in the, the second part of the show, but like it does give up a lot of ITC points. Obviously, we've got new missions now uh, and a slightly new scoring structure. So um, perhaps that I, I need to review this. Um, yeah, we can walk you through some of those um, in a awesome. second. I just have one more question about the deep strike stuff. Was there ever a time where you actually did deep strike one of your two paladin squads? Never. Not once. Would you ever consider it? Do you know what? I, I thought that I would. I thought that I would. But it, it just came up that no, especially in ITC. <laughs> because the thing is, it's about did you kill one? Did you hold one? Did you kill more? Right. Did you hold more? You know, that that's the primary game, right? right. It's not just a matter of having that union reserve. It's the opportunity cost of having to deploy strikes because you do hit that minimum really exactly. fast. Exactly. And then, you know, the thing is, I, I quickly worked out, if I ever had to deploy strikes turn one, most of my opponents would have found a way to kill them if I hadn't gone yeah. first. Absolutely. Uh, and that was just, a, a, I'm not going to throw a unit away like that. You can't. You're still an elite army, right? You, you can't be frivolous with, uh, with throwing your stuff away. So you have two battalions, which obviously gets you a lot of command points, mm. but it's at the opportunity cost of having to take strikes. Um, yeah. Some variations of Grey Knights that I've been working on only run one battalion, but run three units of five Terminators in mm. their stead. Mm. So your troops are a lot more durable. There are no easy kills, per se, for this exact kill, kill more type of thing, mark for death, mm. um, all that. So is that something you'd ever consider, or do you really think you need double battalion to play Grey Knights? 
You know what? I, I would consider it, actually. Um, I do think it's quite interesting. Uh, obviously, if I did go down that path, I would try and I would still try and get a dual battalion of uh, of six units of Terminators and one Paladin bomb. But uh, I don't think you can quite squeeze it in because it just ends up being too expensive. Um, I know that for certain, in order to fuel the two Paladin bombs, I needed the dual battalion. I couldn't fuel them both without it. Um, because again, I don't want to get into the tactics uh, part of the show yet, but there are certain stratagems which I have to have up my sleeve in order to survive nasty things charging me and in, in order to keep resilient throughout the game. Um, and just one, yeah, one battalion wasn't enough. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think if you had one Paladin bomb to support, you could go to one battalion? Yeah, yeah, you, you could, you could. You, you'll have to play a tight game. I mean, look, someone like you probably could. Me, I, I like a few extra aces up my sleeve. They're called <laughs> command sure, points. Sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We all need our crutches, Lord. Right, yeah, right. Speaking <laughs> as a great eye player who's played a lot of double paladin lists, I mean, I played a lot of 20 or 24 paladins. It's really nice having that second unit because a lot of times the first unit sort of weathers the storm and then they're down to like three dudes or whatever. And then the second unit gets gated in and then your opponent is like, well, killing the second unit is a lot harder than killing the first because it, it just yeah. is. Um. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges. So you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. Because they've, they've started, the minute they start losing resources, um, it becomes a real uphill struggle because the, the fact of the matter is that there are a lot of armies now even with just the one Paladin bomb, that have to put the majority of their army into that one unit to actually destroy them. Uh, and you, you want to talk about like resource management. You know, they're, they're investing all of this into one unit, and they still might not even kill it at the end of it, which is, very one, very depressing for them, uh, and two, very awesome for you. Uh, and then when you, you then uh, fling the second unit into their lines uh, in the second turn, it's just like, wow, I, do, I can't do that again. You know? <laughs> it's like, it's, it just becomes uh, very, very difficult for them the minute they start to lose um, their assets. The only thing I've ever had kill paladins is aberrance. That's literally right. the only yeah. thing I've ever had a yeah. problem with. Um, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. So it's good for great nights. <laughs> poor old chapter approved. Really did a number on them, didn't it? My goodness. Oh, my poor Gene Steeler call. All yeah. of my armies are all dead. You guys yeah. suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the ITC missions to get us back on track mm. just came out with their new 2020 beta test, I suppose. Right. Uh, at the time of recording, for those listening, uh, they came out yesterday. So Lawrence, understandably, has not had a chance to play them. No. He's not playing 40K literally every day of his life. No, just every other day. Just every, every other day. day. Yeah, exactly. We should, should have pushed the recording back a day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to highlight some of the differences, I kind of went through them before with the episode with Lawrence, just so we have an idea. Uh, there's one that I forgot to mention to you because I – didn't think it was a big deal, but it actually applies massively to your army. They it. also changed how Mark for Death works. Uh, 
instead of seven power level now, which screws strikes over real hard, it's now one. You can mark a unit that's at least a hundred points. Wow. So strikes being eighty-five, big deal. Well, that's it. That's just buffed my army. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, <laughs> I'm on board um, with that. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure. Let, let's talk through some of the changes and uh, see how you think that affects your list. And if sure. you think there's anything obvious you need to change uh, to account for that, maybe give us your initial impressions. That sound good? Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So the first and most important change, I suppose, is the idea of attackers and defenders. Uh, you pre-game roll off at the start. The winner chooses they want to be attacker defender. Defender rolls for deployment style, and you can re-roll it if they don't like what they got. And then the defender is going second and deploying second. The attacker is going first and deploying first. Yeah. Yeah. So, Pretty do nice. you think your army can kind of play both roles really well? Or yes, uh, I do, uh, and that's that's purely because, um, and I think any good in my opinion, any really good tournament list, you can't rely on going first. That is, you, you can't base your game on a single dice roll before the game begins. That's a bad strategy. Um, <laughs> obviously, there are some matchups which, you know, it's a bit like rock, paper, scissors sometimes in 40k and you realize, oh, I have to go first to win this, but you don't try and build your list to go first, if you see what I mean. Um, so I, I feel comfortable being the attacker or defender. Um, what I do notice about it is uh, that's basically the GW format, uh, the chapter approved format, having the attacker and defender. Um, so they sort of borrowed um, some of the uh, mission parameters from uh, the GW missions there. Uh, what's really interesting is the re-roll deployment zone. That actually really gives the defender um, that gives the defender a, a nice little buff because often um you know going second can be really sucky uh itc's done a lot to mitigate that because of like end of battle round scoring and so forth but the fact you can re-roll your deployment zone i mean some in some matchups that's going to be so good when you're the defender if you you roll up a terrible deployment zone um and you, you've got the ability to re-roll it. it's really really cool Right. And also, just going second general, I think you touched on, it has such a huge advantage in ITC. Yeah. You have the last say every single battle round on who killed more, who held more. Right. You know where to stand. You know how many things to kill, so you can pace your killing really well. Mm. Also, now, because the order of operations in the new format, there's two secondaries, King of the Hill and Ground Control, which are scored King of the Hills at the end of the battle round and Ground Controls at the end of the game, obviously. So. Yeah. You can know you're going second and just pick like ground control and be like, okay, all I have to do is survive. And that's an easy four point secondary. Yeah, which is which is pretty massive actually. I I I mean, obviously you you've just run me through it uh, before we started the interview, and I like I'm looking at it now. I'm like, this is actually looking really really cool. Um, some nice changes in here. I really do like the um, the CC initiative one. Obviously, is going to be controversial because I know some people absolutely love the CC yeah. the initiative. Yeah. Um, I personally. Uh, despite on my show, uh, Tabletop Tactics, we have a big thing. Whenever someone seizes, they like power up Dragon Ball Z style. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah, which is cool. Uh, however, seizing is a is one of those things which, I mean, if, if you're talking competitively and you're trying to make a balanced, a balanced mission set, seizing can be something which is not good. Uh, so I actually do support the removing of it in these sort of competitive style formats. That's just my yeah. personal opinion. I, I don't want to go too far off topic, but this is an interesting discussion point. So I'll, I'll go in for a little bit. Um, seizing, I think, has an interesting place even competitively because let's say the attacker is going first mm. unless he gets seized on. Now he's going to have that one six chance that things might go awry. That's right. And, you know, some players will still deploy on the line and blame the dice every time they lose one six of their games. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And 
better players will take that seizing factor into account and try to do a what-if scenario mm. and then deploy accordingly. Maybe it'd be a little bit more cautious. Now there is no incentivization to not just deploy everything in line and say, I'm going first. Mm. So if that's a good thing, I'm not sure. If going second, as I said, is really, really powerful. So maybe we actually did need to buff the attacker with no chance of seize so he can actually get the alpha strike in with no fear of what if. Yeah, so, that's a really interesting it, point, actually. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I can see I can see that angle. And, and, and you're right, because... Here's the thing. So I play ITC, and I've been I've been playing ITC more recently because obviously we're going to the tournaments again. But um, I usually play GW missions uh, on the channel, and um, you don't you you're not usually as concerned about the end of battle round scoring with the GW missions. Like some of them do that, but some of them don't. Whereas an ITC, as you say, going second is often the best thing to do. Um, so now that that power distribution is hopefully being rebalanced with this new mission format. That, that is an interesting consideration. Um, so yeah, it's kind of to go along with that idea. Um, the new ITC missions do add uh, a fifth objective or an odd number of objectives in the middle, usually for all those missions that didn't have it. So like Precious Cargo Mission 5 of the old ITC now has a central one. So it's not just a stalemate where no one really gets to hold more and it comes down and essentially just kills. Yeah. They also have made the bonus point in almost every mission easier to achieve. Now, generally speaking, the bonus point is one that's rewarded to having board control. You're holding XYZ objectives using right. these characters, whatever it might be. Cool. So going first also lets you more easy, more easily established early game board control to get those bonus points early on. Mm -hmm. And now without fear of seizing, you know, there's actually legitimate value to going first. But of course, going second, rerolling that deployment style, ground control, king of the hill, obviously the end of battle round stuff. There is a lot of value to going second. So I'm not sure if they've actually equally balanced them out entirely or yeah. if one or the other is just too powerful now. My, it's my a, inclination it's tricky, is it? still too powerful, but that's my yeah. personal take. Well, I think I th I, I think I agree with you. Actually, I've, I've always thought second turn in ITC is is was the was the the trump card. You know, it was, it was ultimately you're controlling the game. Um, you're watching it, yeah. Like yeah. Top players at LVO, Richard Siegler, I believe, chose second in like the finals and yeah. chose second the round before. It's like you just keep choosing second and winning. Like there's definitely a correlation. Yeah. Not to take anything away from him, he's obviously an amazing player. Just. Yeah. Uh, you of know, course, but yeah, there's some, there's, a, there's a reason why he's picking second. Right. I mean, I think a layman's way to say that is it's better to go second unless uh you have to go first so you don't get tabled, right? Basically. Yeah. There's, there was one circumstance where I actually seized in one of the games, uh, the recent GT, and it was purely for, and Nick just touched on this, I just wanted the board control earlier um, because I didn't want um, my opponent to spread out across that central board because I knew that I'd have uh, some trouble shifting him off of it and he would he would sort of start to outscore me primary for the first couple of turns. So I wasn't interested in that. So that was an instance where I did want to seize and go first. But generally, I actually gave my opponent first turn um because it was going to be always better for me you can uh, survive the apple strike and then exactly. now you have an advantage for the next five six turns you got it exactly so uh, yeah no I, I think i think going forwards probably second turn will still be king uh but it's very early to say isn't it and it's so hard to balance in what is a turn-based game 
it really, really is. So, yeah, we'll and, you know what, Lawrence, there's, there's also, I guess, a part to the missions that I haven't explained to you, um, mm. which is moderately relevant here. Things like engineers, recon, behind enemy lines, those board control-based secondaries, you can actually score two points in the same turn if you do it with double the number of units you're supposed to. So, for oh, example... Wow. Uh, recon, you obviously score one point at the end of your turn if you have a unit in every quarter. Yeah. If you have two units in every quarter, you can just score two points. Wow, so you can um, double up early now. That's, yeah, that's yeah, so that's just, you know, if you're getting that board control early, establishing the dominance, you might actually max out your secondaries real quick, which lets right. you not have to worry about it later on. Well, yeah. you, can also, you can also double those up late. So you yeah. bring your engineers in late when less stuff can get to them, for yeah. example. Absolutely. Preserve engineers yeah. have always been a thing. Yeah. Yeah, you can play the long game or the short game. Uh, that's very interesting. Okay, cool. So there are a couple new secondaries as well. Um, I don't want to go through all 20 of them because that's not really what the show's about. But sure. uh, we'll go through the new ones and see how you think your army can handle them and if you right. think that's something that's viable for your list or something worth changing so your list can accomplish. Yeah. So Born for Greatness is the first one I want to cover. Basically, this is one where if you have a really good character doing a whole bunch of stuff, you can pick up points. So... You get one point, you pick one of your characters. And yeah. then if he kills a unit, you get a point. If he kills a character, you get a point. Uh, they don't stack, so you have to kill a unit and kill a character separately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't deny psychic power, you get a yeah. point. If that character holds an objective outside your deployment zone, you get a point. If it heroically intervenes, you get a point. And if at the end of a battle round, you are wholly within your opponent's, sorry, if you begin and end a battle round, so you have to start and end your turn. Yeah. Um, wholly within your deployment deployment zone. Yeah. Well, I mean, Born for Greatness is something which actually plays really well to my army. Because um, obviously, I've got a character here, the army, and they tend to uh, eventually move forward. Um, denying psychic power is obviously a no brainer. Uh, you know, yeah. it's relatively uh, easy depending on uh, who I'm playing. Um, and yeah, I mean, my characters pretty much did mix it up um in in most of my games they do either end up uh, getting into combat or combat or doing heroic intervention um so that's actually just a that's just another nice secondary for me to pick depending on matchup of course yeah okay yeah i think that one makes a lot of sense for you um, yeah another interesting one that i think could apply to your army it's not a new one but behind enemy lines has changed um to uh, you, if you end your turn fully within your opponent's deployment zone with a unit, you get a point. So you can oh. gate a character or a strike squad into the middle of nowhere, relatively safe, and it, it doesn't matter if it dies, it, you still score a point. So is that something you'd consider? Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, that is a very interesting change because, um, okay. And yeah, yeah. A, it just doesn't have to fly a battlefield role. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, entirely within uh, the enemy deployment zone at the end of your turn. Yeah, that's that's a really easy one for me to score um wow that's massive <laughs> it's really massive uh and then yeah if you have three or more non-flyer units entirely in your opponent's deployment zone at the end of your turn you get two points so very very interesting very interesting because given the fact that i'm almost exclusively deep striking those six strike units um turn two and they have pretty much most games gone into the enemy deployment zone to help hem them in and keep them in there yeah, it totally makes sense. I would just pick that because that's like an easy two points for me to have turn two, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's I think that I just read that secondary going through the list and I figured that was something your list would definitely want to make use of. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> we got two more new ones I want to cover. Sappers is 
so long and wordy, but we'll try to go through it. Basically, you nominate two of your units at the start of the game, just like you would engineers. If they hold, if they are holding an objective, they can sap it. So instead of making attacks or manifesting powers, just like an engineer unit can't do anything, yeah, uh, it can sap objectives. And if you're sapping an objective, your opponent can't score that objective for its primary mission. So you're just taking that objective off the table until either you are no longer within three inches of it, or right. you're. Uh, dead or you've made an attack obviously so hmm. you would take something like a good example would be like 30 gaunts running up and just standing on a bunch of objectives and say these are mine you can't score them until you kill me um, yeah. you also get one point for every objective you sap so like something like 30 gaunts could stand on many objectives all at once and score a whole bunch of points okay. uh, you can't sap objectives in your deployment zone at least so there's that right. but thank goodness um, <laughs> I'm, I'm th- yeah, yeah yeah i'm thinking of your paladins because they, they can definitely stand on a whole bunch of objectives but you don't really want to make them not make attacks like you got it stuff. yeah so, like, it's, it's for the same same reason i wouldn't pick sappers now is the same reason i didn't pick engineers um before i just i need yeah i tend to need those units active and because i am still quite an elite army to to have a unit out of the way doing nothing unless it is like one of those 85 point you know, strike units or 90 point strike units, depending on what, uh, Falchions and so forth. Um, it, yeah, I don't, I don't see myself using that. Um, obviously I'd, I'd play test it a little bit, but that would be not good for a, a whole bunch of, you know, 460 point paladin unit just sitting there. Not a secondary figure. No, no. <laughs> uh, and the last one is the postman. Um, you select a character, or it doesn't have to be a character, you select the model in your army, um, so I guess it could be a paladin or something. Yeah. Uh, and then you basically, you get a point for every objective he controls at some point in the game. So he walks over to objective one, he controls it, then he walks over to objective number three, he holds that one, one point, two point, et cetera. So it's basically just running around the board, delivering mail and scoring points. Cool. Um, <laughs> it could be interesting for a character with gate, just gating from objective to objective to objective. Yeah. I mean that it definitely could. Um, again, depending on the map and where the objectives are, are all placed. Um, again, if I'm willing to throw a character around like that, you know, it'd have to be a character which I don't necessarily need to keep too tight to my paladins. That um, for the majority of the game, yeah, it could work. That could work. It could be interesting. But I think I prefer the first one, which was the, uh, what's it called? Born in greatness. Yeah. Born for greatness. I think I prefer that because it gives me a little bit, um, it gives me more tools, more ways to score different things as opposed to having to go to a different part of the battlefield. Yeah. Hey, um, I, I mm-hmm. do have a question. Does the assassin stratagem break tides? Yeah. Well, it breaks, it breaks space marine doctrines. So I just yeah. assume it breaks tides. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was assuming too, but I just wanted to make sure because, yeah, I was just just thinking about a Calexus behind enemy lines. <laughs> I yeah. don't know, do love the behind enemy lines Calexus. I, I would rather not think about that, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that pretty much wraps it up for my questions on the strategy episode. This has been a really, really awesome episode. Thank you, Lawrence. No problem at all. Pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Lawrence. Uh, we we really appreciate it. Was there anything else that? Well, why don't you tell people where they can find you, and if you have any really cool videos coming out soon. Awesome. All right. Well, that's kind of you to uh, to ask. So um, actually, this will probably be one uh, that you Art of War fans would be really interested in. So the, the guy, Rav, who 
finished first at the Bournemouth Grand Tournament uh, with his Iron Hands Brohammer list. Um, he, uh, we, we, we met there, of course, um, and we're good buddies now. And uh, the challenge has been set. So he's actually going to be coming on the show, um, unless, of course, for some, for some reason he can't quite make it. But he's set to come here next Tuesday. And we're going to film the finals, the seventh shadow round, if you like, my list versus his, because the, the, the event ended <laughs> it ended with two of us on 6-0, and o, right? So we're going to film it, and we're going to put that out as a, as a Tactical Battle Report uh, over on YouTube, which I think hopefully a lot of people will be interested in seeing. Can yeah, the Grey awesome. Knights take on these Iron Hands? I don't know. We'll find out. That's, that, that's the million-dollar question these days. I'm actually doing a very similar episode on the Art of War stream uh, this coming weekend. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, because it is a bit, it's a pertinent question, right? So we just have to play test it and see what happens. But um, yeah, you can find me uh, on YouTube, just uh, search Tabletop Tactics, or you can check us out on the website, tabletoptactics.tv, and you'll find uh, a whole bunch of battle reports and other content. Awesome. Great. And John, uh, where can they find more Art of War episodes or other uh, Frontline Gaming Network episodes? <laughs> Good transition, Nick. I'm proud of you. I'm uh, over here. <laughs> well, as always, you can find Art of War on the Frontline Gaming Network, um, which, if unless you're living under a rock, is uh, under the you just search Frontline Gaming. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, basically anywhere you can find a podcast. You can find the Frontline Gaming Network, where we have like some of the best. 40k competitive podcasts um basically ever so uh we have us who is we think the best podcast on the channel we have uh, 40k stat center sorry val they're <laughs> they're a close second chapter tactics which is also very good and they've been around forever um and signals from the front line which keeps you sort of abreast of what's happening in the world of 40k so yeah so check that out and as always episode two will be available to our patrons if you haven't signed up for our patreon yet why haven't you done that uh, i have to tell you right now it's becoming such a good value so if you're not a patron i think there's like i don't know 28 30 hours of of podcasts of just just gold to get into about this game and it's only six dollars a month so you should come check out our patron at aow40k.com um, I think it's a tremendous value. I'm very proud of it. Uh, I wouldn't shill something <laughs> that I didn't believe in, um, but it is it's it's worth the price of admission. We get that we get told that all the time by people. Um, so yeah, go check it out. And this has been another edition of the Art of War podcast with Lawrence Baker, who we really appreciate having on. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Natavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect. On Facebook, just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.